Oh, we have Alex Wilson now. Yes, give him a big hand. And uh, Alex, I have made him so many. I, I, I have like I have promoted him twice or thrice. <laughs> I don't know, right? But Alex is the head of engineer at Google Voice. And when I met him, I, I feel that God has done a lot of things in his life, and that the church can be inspired. Uh, by what God is doing in his, he, he inspired me that's what I want to say and this morning it's going to be a treat so Alex thank you for doing this may the spirit of God speak through you and we pray in Jesus name amen right welcome Thanks. him welcome him everyone so uh, just so you know that all the rest of the service is more Alex's after me just Alex 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 is the theme uh, so uh, anyway this is my first time speaking in front of a church since I was nine years old when I got baptized so if I say anything embarrassing I apologize in advance to my wife and daughter uh, sorry in advance but uh, for hopefully for the rest of you this will be okay um, I want to start by talking about my own experience with faith in the workplace because it's actually how I became a Christian I bring up a picture here. So this is me. I'm the little boy in the front with the birthday cake. That's my sister next to me, my older half-brother, Kevin. The the lady in the uh, back behind me, her name is Maud Huff. And to give you some background, my parents were both hippies uh, when I was growing up. They were both super super hippies, like they were smoking marijuana all the time. Sorry, Naomi, I'm telling you too much. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, they were, they were and, and, they, and my dad worked a lot. My mom was trying to go to school. So when I was about a year and a half old, they uh, opened up a, a, an ad in the paper to have someone come live with us and take care of basically me and my, my little sister, uh, who's only 15 months younger than me. Uh, so she's three months old, I was a year and a half. Someone to come and live in our home and take care of us. And uh, they talked to a d- bunch of different people. And when they talked to Maud, uh, they were really amazed by what a warm person she was. Uh, some background on her. She, she was born in the early 1900s. She taught in a one-room schoolhouse as a teacher. Uh, she raised four sons through the Great Depression, lost two husbands. Uh, she was a Sunday school teacher, a devout Baptist and Christian. Um, and they were just amazed by what a, what a warm heart she had, what a kind person she seemed to be. And, uh, and they talked to her and they said, you know, we're like hippies. We might smoke marijuana in the house. Like, how do you feel about working for us? And she said, as long as you don't go crazy, it'll be fine. Uh, and so they, they went ahead and, and, and brought her on. And really to this day, like Maud was really, she was really the one who raised me more than either my parents did because she was with us every day. She was, you know, getting us breakfast, feeding us at night, tucking us into bed, giving her a hug at night. And, uh, and she, because of her faith, she was such a strong Christian. My parents saw what a wonderful example she was. And even though they weren't Christian, they were very comfortable with her taking us, my sister and I, to church. And so I was able to, uh, to, to, to have an experience that was different. One of the verses that I'm reminded by when I think about Maud is, is this one, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, for Maud, she didn't conform to the world. She was she grew up in some hard times. She grew, she experienced a lot of, of 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 the nineteen you know the twentieth century, and and had a lot of, of things that she experienced. But she didn't that didn't change who she was. She was fundamentally a very pure person and a really a very deeply convicted Christian. And so because of that, I grew up and going to First Baptist Church in Bellevue, Washington, up about a thousand miles north, and. 
if it wasn't for her example in her own workplace, living in our home, uh, and really, basically, she became a member of our family. She lived with us until she passed away 15 years, roughly 15 years later. Um, you know, if it wasn't for her living her faith in her workplace, I wouldn't have been a Christian. My sister wouldn't have been a Christian. So uh, I was incredibly blessed to have her in my life, and I'm always thankful for her. Um, now, my Christianity, I'll say this, when I, when I moved from Washington State and I came to Silicon Valley for the first time, it was to go to college at Stanford University. Uh, pastor Rich, our, our former pastor, went there. And what I can say is that Stanford is a challenging place for faith. You know, when you are in a place with so many people from different backgrounds and so much of the educational system is oriented around political correctness and being really open, uh, it really challenges your faith. And I, I'll say this, I think that's a good thing. Like, I... I I think up until I went to college, my faith was something I just sort of took for granted. I just sort of said, of course, you know, uh, God loves me. Of course, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But I never really deeply thought about it, like, as an adult, as, as really challenged with all of the different things of the world. And, and, and university really helped me in, in terms of showing me a lot of things. We, we dug deep into, uh, like, old religious texts and analyzed philosophers but I will say that as a result of that experience, my initial experience coming out of college was I had stepped away from my faith. I was not as deep as a Christian. I, I, I sort of in the back of my mind, I, I still had that faith and belief, but I wasn't engaged with my faith the way I really should have been. Uh, I got lucky. After college, I met a, a, a young woman, Nicole, uh, who was going to Western Seminary at the time. And I kept asking her questions about Christianity and faith. I, I, I had all this questioning, all this, you know, God had put this in my heart, and I really needed someone I could talk to more deeply. And so she helped me uh, kind of re you know, re-engage with God, re-engage with my, my faith. And, uh, and so I'm embarrassing her here with this uh, picture of her wearing a funny hat. Um, anyway, that brings me, you know, fast forward to today. I've worked for a number of tech companies, and so I want to talk a bit about how that faith that I've gone through, that journey I've gone through, kind of, you know, seeing it from the other side and coming back to it uh, affects how I, I talk to folks about Christianity at work. Uh, I work for a company uh, named Google. Um, I, I will say a legal disclaimer here. I speak on behalf of myself personally. This is not uh, in any way uh, coming from Google itself. And, you know, the standard disclaimer applies. It's just me. Um, here's a stock photo of Google. Uh, you know, well, I think it's, you know, it's close enough. Close enough. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, let me, let me talk about some of the challenges. What I, what I really want to talk about, we've had a, this is this part of a series we've had about faith in a workplace. And I, we've talked about faith in different workplaces, and I wanted to talk about the challenges of Silicon Valley in particular. Uh, because I feel like in Silicon Valley, especially in tech, we, we run into a lot of interesting challenges when we try to talk to people about faith, when we try to talk to people about God. And so I wanted to touch on a few of the different things that I've ran into as I've talked to folks about faith. And talk about some of the things that I've used when I've had those conversations with people about faith in the workplace. So one of the big challenges I've seen is this notion of, I don't need God, I can do it myself. Here in Silicon Valley, we believe in people who can just do things on their own. It's, it's part of our culture. Um, you know, we, we look up to people like Steve Jobs and, and Larry Page and, and Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Well, maybe not Elon so much these days, but uh, <laughs> you know, people who've uh, who've really made made a lot of things happen on their own, and and that's you know, in the culture of Silicon Valley, we see these people and we say, wow, these are people who really uh, exemplify what the valley is about, really exemplify what innovation is about, and accomplishing things is all about. And because of these folks, we, we have this mentality, we've got to do it all on our own. Like we should just like you know work really hard and accomplish so many things on our own, and it's all up to us. And 
you know, one of the things I'm reminded by, you know, and, and here's, a, here's a picture of, of some, a bunch of people on their phones, and you can tell it's not the Bay Area, not because they're all Asian, don't be racist, but because uh, they, they are, they're on mass transit, which we don't have. Uh, but, you know, we have a culture where because of everyone trying to do everything on their own, you know, people are always on their phone. They're always addicted to, to technology. You know, we, Google released this digital well-being app. Like, it's gotten to the point where we have to make sure the phone tells you to stop using me. Like, stop using the phone so you can engage with life. Like, we're, we've gotten to the point where we're, we're so focused on doing things and so focused on what's going on with us that we, we, we can't even pull ourselves away from our screens. We turn to other things, right? People turn to meditation. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's a really good thing. Some people turn to medication. Some people turn to other kinds of things, like Elon down there below. Uh, the, the reality is, is that this, this, this life that we're living, where we believe we have to do everything on our own and accomplish everything on our own is burning us out. It's, it's tiring us. It's, it's, we aren't built to be able to handle the, the world on, it, on our own. Like, the reality is God made us to rely on him. He built us to, to have a relationship with him, to have the Holy Spirit come along with us on this walk, not for us to be able to, to try to take everything by ourselves. So for me, just something, some trick I use at work about this, um, every time I get in the elevator, I pray. I try to pray, um, and it's just a, a moment that I have alone, typically, or you know, it's just you know, take a few floors, and it's just a, you know, I have a lot of meetings and I have to j- jump floors, so I, I generally get a chance to pray a couple times a day, just for a moment, just to pray for God, just in this moment, continue to support me, continue to help me accomplish things. I realize, you know, that I'm not able to do things on my own. This, I'm reminded of this verse that I that I love, Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And one of the things that's interesting about this verse, I've, I've heard this verse a lot, but what I think is really critical to this verse is actually the context before it, which is starting at verse 10. And I'll read it again. I, have, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, or you've, you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's the key verse right there. In whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what's really meaningful about this to me is it's, it's not about, like, God is going to make you go out and become the next, you know, Steve Jobs, but it's about God is going to help you be able to weather every situation. He's going to help you be able to be content in every moment. Not every moment's going to go great. Not every moment's going to go awesome. I've certainly ch- faced my challenges in, in leadership uh, where I've had folks going through tough times, and it's really, really tough on me, too. Uh, and and, but, and, and it's not that God is going to turn every one of those situations around and make them rosy and wonderful, but he's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you that ability to be content and, and accomplish that. And so when I talk to folks and I say, you know, they say, yeah, you know, I don't need God. I don't need, like, I can do it all on my own. I'm like, really? How, how's, how's stuff going? You know, I, I think, you know, the more I talk to people, I, I realize that people are really challenged, that they're really, you know, stressed out, that they, they, they need support. And when I, when I shared with them about my faith, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's a, it starts out very simple. It just says, you know, like for me, you know, it's, it's great to know that I don't have to rely on everything happening, that I just, you know, every, every week, 
you know, the way I describe it to folks that if, I, if I'm just having that initial conversation, I say every week I start off with three things that terrify me. And by the end of the week, those three things are no longer scary. And there's three new things that will terrify me next week. And what, what gets me through it is just knowing that I don't have to do it alone. And, and once people start to move away from the, I'm going to do it all by myself, they start to be open to, well, if, I'm, if I don't have to do it alone, what does that mean? And that can kind of open the door for them to start thinking about something bigger than themselves. I can take care of myself. This is another kind of variant of, this, of the last one. You know, we in Silicon Valley have a, a very materialistic culture, and it's, 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 it's very disturbing to me, honestly, because I, before I came down to c- come to college here, I lived in a small farming town about an hour north of Seattle, and most of the folks there didn't have a lot, and a lot of folks were, worked very hard. And uh, when I look around Silicon Valley, and everywhere I look, there's people driving $150,000 cars and, and, and spending crazy amounts of money on things. Um, it's, it's, it's really kind of scary. And a lot of people think they don't need God because they have all the money and the wealth, the things that they need to live life and be able to, to do things in life. I remember this, uh, I've seen this thing here, he who dies of the most toys wins. You can tell this is super old because the computer's from like 1982. Uh, but that, you know, you still see this kind of notion, right? Like in Silicon Valley, we think that just having more stuff, just having more money, just being able to take care of myself, I don't need God. You know, I just, I just have, you know, X number of dollars in the bank or X amount of stock options and I'm going to be fine. When I have conversations with folks who talk about like, oh, you know, like I could take care of myself. I, I, one of the things I like to do is, is just casually talk about some of the, the things that have happened in the past in Silicon Valley. I started working just before the dot-com bubble burst. And so a lot of my friends all got jobs at dot-com startups. Everyone had a a cool up-and-coming job. The stock market was going nuts. And then the dot-com bubble burst. And within just a short amount of time, a ton of of wealth went away. I had a friend who had, on paper, millions of dollars in stock that went to zero uh, as his company just completely exploded. Uh, And... Pretty much all of my friends lost their jobs after the dot-com bubble. I mean, even people who were really smart, really talented, but this, all the jobs went away for many, many of the companies in the Bay Area and in, in tech, and it was really a tough time. And, and some folks were out of work for a year or two before they could find another job. In 2008, we had another recession hit, and a lot of people lost their jobs then too. And so even though right now, especially for the younger people who, who've come into the workplace of Silicon Valley and they've only seen boom times. They've only seen success. They've only seen growth. It can be easy for them to start to think, like, this is going to continue. I can rely on my ability to earn money. I can rely on the money I have in the bank. I can rely on my stock going up in value. I can rely on the wealth I've accumulated to take care of myself. I don't need God. But the reality is, is that that's not really true. We've had a number of times where that money's gone away. Um, and in, for a lot of folks, you know, when they don't think about that, they, they get really caught up in feeling that they can provide for themselves. I love this verse in Matthew. You know, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When When I talk to folks about their careers at Google, one of the important things that I do within generally the first couple months of managing them is we have a conversation about the career motivations. We talk about we have this whole spreadsheet, and it lists out all these different things that people are motivated by, whether it's uh, more recognition, getting promoted, making more money, getting more stock, uh, traveling the world more, working on interesting technical problems, creating great uh, user experiences. There's a whole bunch of different things. And I have people rank them. 
and sort them into different categories. There's going to be things that really matter to them and the things that are somewhat important and things that don't really matter that much. And one of the things that's important when I have those conversations with people is I try to remind folks that money is not the most important thing in, in, in your life. You know, that you, there's a lot more to, to even, even ignoring spirituality for a moment, there's more to leading a fulfilling career than just having some number in the bank account increment by more digits, right? And so I, I encourage folks to think about how are you developing yourself as a person? How are you developing who you are, what, what you can do, what you're good at, what are the things that, how are you making a, a stronger impact in the world? How are you helping people? How are you helping users and, and helping, you know, the people around you accomplish more things? Because in the end, what I've found as I talk to folks and have these conversations with them is that what motivates people deep down isn't the money itself, even though they'll write that down. And, and it's certainly it's expensive to live in the Bay Area, and so some people want to be able to afford a, a home one day and things like that. But it's that they want to be the best the best themselves they can be. It's a really awkward sentence. But they, they really want to grow into someone that... that they, they can think that they really did something with their lives. And so really opening up that conversation that, hey, it's more, you know, your career is more than about how much money you're going to make or about how much wealth you can accumulate. It's about how you can make an impact in the world is, is really the key to starting to crack that open when I, when I talk to folks. And I share a lot about, like, you know, what I do outside of church. I talk about, uh, you know, like playing in, in the band here and, and, and how much fun that is and how I, I get to... to, to uh, you know, support the, the church here. One of the people on my team uh, works in, in a food bank and uh, also contributes to other uh, food ministries in the, in the Bay Area. And so just being able to have some of those conversations, and, and uh, like, I've had to like, make him talk about it because he's, like, he's really shy about it. Uh, but when people start to hear about how you can make an impact in, in the area beyond just, I just go to work and make money and go home and watch Netflix. Um, nothing wrong with Netflix. I love it. I want to get that Stranger Things basket. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, when people start to think about that, I think it really helps transform that, you know, hey, you know, it's more than about wealth. It's more than about just the money that uh, we're going to accumulate. There's more to my value as a person than just, just how much money I have in the bank. Christianity is judgmental, not politically correct, not inclusive. Uh, if there's one part of this sermon that's going to get me fired from my job, this is it. Uh, <laughs> these days, at, you know, we live in a culture where people are somewhat afraid to be Christian. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's a rough time, I would say, to be Christian. It's certainly a rough time uh, t- to have certain political beliefs, and we're not going to go into that in this, in this uh, sermon. But, uh, you know, for a lot of people, when they think of Christianity, they don't think of us as open and welcoming and, uh, you know, like kind of Bay Area politically correct. A lot of people's ideas of us get kind of tied up with these folks uh, who I are, I'm, I'm ashamed to even, that they call themselves Baptists, but they're not really. Um, and, you know, one of the challenges that I think that we have as Christians is that we really need people to understand who Jesus was. Because fundamentally, Jesus was an incredibly liberating person, right? Like, he, 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 sp- he hung out with people of all walks of life. And he, you know, he empowered women, and he fed the hungry, and he, and he, he healed the sick. I mean, he was, he was a really liberating person. And the fact is, is that when we think about who Jesus is, someone who's, who, who loves others and cares for their, their neighbors, like, that is, for me as a Christian, the, at the heart of my faith, is that who, you know, for, you know, the Bible is full of many, many verses, and they're all really important, but nothing is more important to me in my faith and how I live my life than the example of Jesus and how he lived his. And 
A lot of people don't know that about Jesus. All they think about Christianity is the judgment. They think about people saying you're going to go to hell. Uh, For a brief time in high school, I went to a Southern Baptist church. It was very fire and brimstone, uh, where we're reminded regularly we would go to hell, uh, which is, you know, know, I get it. You know, it's it's, there's a certain amount of... um, I'd say catharsis you get from going through that experience. You know, you hear about, you're burning hell, and then you, you know, you, you leave the, certain, the, the, the church that Sunday, you feel really fired up. I didn't mean to use that as a pun, but, you know, it, I get it, I get it. Um, but you, the reality is you're not going to win a lot of people over to Christ if that is the main focus of your story. It's sort of like, uh, you know, if I were to try to, to sell people on, uh, you know, joining uh, Google, for example, and all I did is, is show them, like, the grungy technical debt that's left over from 10 years of bad engineering practices. So come work here! Like, no one would come work at Google. Uh, you, know, you gotta show people the whole thing. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scary stuff in Christianity. You don't want to focus on that overly much. And so, when I think about, you know, Christ in that example, I, you know, it's really important that people think about that. You know, I love this passage you know, in Matthew, you've heard that it was said, you shall, shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, what, what Jesus is saying here is it's like, it's easy for us, especially as Christians, and we see this in our churches, to get very focused in ourselves and think about, you know, we talk to other Christians, we go to things with other Christians, we go to events with other Christians, we talk to other Christians. Like, that's not what, if, if all we do is talk to ourselves and are nice to each other and we're mean to everybody who's not a Christian, that's, that's not what Jesus wants. And he's clear, he's very clear here in the Bible. Like, that's, that's very easy to just do that. What we need to be doing is, 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 demonstrate that love that Jesus had for everyone. We need to do that in the world as well. We need to have that love for others. You know, it, it can be really challenging. I'll say this, like, I was at, uh, I had a dinner, you know, a few years back. I was visiting our Stockholm, Sweden office, and I was sitting with this director who ran the Sweden uh, office, and we're all having dinner, and he's, he said, we're ta- the, the, the subject came along to religion, and he said, in all seriousness, well, hey, we're all atheists here, right? And I was like, no. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and that was really the first time at, at, at work I had, at, I had told people I was Christian. And it, it actually was a great conversation and kind of opening it up because people have sort of assumed in tech that, oh, you're, you're not religious. And being able to really open up and, and share, that, share that. And people started to realize, like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not the Christian who's going to say to people every day, hey, how's it going? You're going to go to hell. How's it going? You're also going to go to hell. That's not, that's, that's not the kind of Christian I am. I'm the kind of Christian that says, hey, you know what? I have a faith based on Jesus. I, I, you know, my job is to serve others. My job is to love others. That is what God and Jesus, this is what Jesus has told me to do. And so every aspect of how I do my job, how I serve you as my, my, the people who work on my team, as I serve our users, is, it comes from that place of, you know, servant, serving and, and loving. And that is what's fundamental about my faith. And that's how I live my faith at work. And that's pretty, people are generally more open to that. They're like, oh, okay, you're not going to tell me I'm going to go to hell. That, that's cool. And like, it really opens up more opportunities to have those conversations at work when, when people realize that you're not going to be, you're not, you're, you're, you're not there to judge them or tell them that they're uh, going to go to, uh, to, to hell. So um, I encourage you not to tell people to go to hell when you go to work. Uh, that's the, to sum up this whole section, that's the important thing. Uh, okay, 
So another challenge that we've run into, and I think I've got, I think this is the last of the four I'm going to talk about. I believe in science instead. I run into this a fair amount when we're in Valley. We live in a very technological place. Silicon Valley is full of tech. I love technology. Uh, and let's be honest, religion and technology have had their challenges. In fact, this was just in the news. I just read this yesterday. Uh, this letter, uh, newly discovered letter by Galileo. Some history here. Galileo had, you know, worked, you know, based on other, other people like Copernicus and stuff, had figured out that the, you know, the, the world didn't revolve, the universe did not revolve around the planet Earth. So before kind of Galileo, the belief was that God created the universe and that the Earth was in the middle and then the, the planets and the sun revolved around it and everything. And it was, I'll, I'll say this, from a theological standpoint, it was super awesome. It was like, it made, so, it was such a great model of the universe to have the planet in the middle and God created, like it just fit together super well. The problem, of course, is it was wrong. Uh, and so when Galileo flagged this, he's like, he wrote this letter and he, he described all these things. He used all this math. Uh, the, the Catholic Church at the time was super angry and the Inquisition got involved, and he lived his last eight years under house arrest uh, because of the heresy he had for claiming that the, the earth was not the center of the universe. So um, that's just kind of an example. This letter was basically this, uh, apparently he, he tried to write another letter to the church where he softened all his language and tried to be a little nicer about it. He's like, well, maybe, you know, but, you know, but they still uh, sentenced him to house arrest. Um, so anyway, religion and tech has had some challenges in the past. Sometimes uh, these things fight. Um, but the reality is, is that tech isn't that perfect either. People say, oh, you know, technology is going to really solve things. Uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning is going to make things better. Um, you know, you've, you may have heard about uh, how recently there was some stuff about Google search results. I'm not going to go into that in detail either because I don't want to get too, you know, in trouble. But I will say that when we think about machine learning, when we think about artificial intelligence, what a lot of people don't realize is that it's actually worse than human judgment when it comes to how, how this technology works. There's this uh, article I, I pulled out, Facebook and YouTube should have learned from Microsoft's racist chatbot. Uh, when, when you create systems using artificial intelligence and machine learning, just to get a little technical story on the side here, um, the way this works is you, 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 create, you, you set up this box, just to kind of use a metaphor, and you feed it all of this information. You feed it all this data, and you kind of tag it, and you say, this is a, a good example, this is a bad example. And it, it, the, the box absorbs all those examples, and it creates a model of how to think based on all the examples you give it. And what ends up happening is, because all that data comes from humans and is tagged by humans, it's about as good as a whole bunch of humans making decisions together. And so it can end up becoming very biased. Actually, often the, the models are more biased than a human would be. Um, an example here, the Microsoft racist chatbot, the story there was Microsoft created a chatbot and they put it on the internet and let people interact with it. And the first time they did this, within like 24 hours, it was incredibly racist <laughs> and it was really offensive to talk to and so they pulled it down they're like oh gosh we got to fix this and so they tried a bunch of stuff and they, they tried to fix a bunch of stuff and then they re-released it a little later 24 hours later it was super racist again so they pulled it off because you know the, the people on the internet who was talking to it were you know like there's a whole bunch of human beings and they were tuning it and it was bad so the reality is is that when we look at technology like we're not creating technology that's better than us we're creating technology that takes some of the worst qualities of us and can magnify it and it's actually requires a lot of work uh, in the space to try to fix that. A lot of the work that, that, that companies do uh, when they're using machine learning is to try to pull out the data that's biased, try to f protect against biases that are in the model. It's actually a lot of work. And so when I have conversations with folks about technology is going to fix things, technology is going to change things, I, I, I encourage them to think bigger than that. That, you know, there's so much about the universe we don't understand. 
and, and so much that we, we just can't even fathom. And it's, it's obviously the, one of the easiest conversations we have is when people are thinking about death, when there's folks like that. You know, those, those are easiest conversations because those are the kind of conversations that technology doesn't have any clue about. Like, tech can't tell you what's going to happen after you die. And I, I, I really encourage people to think about, like, there's so much that we don't know. We know the universe is incredibly complicated. We know there's patterns in there. We know there's mathematical symmetry in it. There's so much to it, the way that physics works, the way that math works, that it's beautiful and it's wonderful and all fits together and it's way bigger than us and we can't understand it. Um, and why is it that it all fits together so beautifully? And why is it that, that, that it, we keep discovering new patterns that are, that are just elegant and wonderful in it? Um, you know, I love this verse in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, there's a lot of things about the universe we don't understand. We don't understand how all the forces fit together, how gravity fits together, how time works, how multi-dimensions work. There's so much complexity there. But what, for me, helps me is I think about that clearly there's something much bigger than me at, at work here. There's a, there's a force much larger than me. And so, you know, this is a great opportunity for me when we start to get into these kind of conversations with folks. They're just kind of, t- you know break out of that conversation about technology and start to think, you know, is there something bigger? You know, like, it, it's, been, it's been effective for me in my conversations with coworkers, especially, you know, late at night on a retreat. Everyone's had maybe, you know, one or two uh, sodas. Um, and and you, can, you can start to have these kind of conversations where you start to crack open that, hey, maybe there's something bigger. Maybe that technology is, you know, we, we're still very limited in what we can do here. To kind of wrap things up, I wanted to share a little bit about how I apply some of these principles and how I lead. Uh, as, as mentioned, I lead engineering for a product called Google Voice. It's a phone number in the cloud at Google. And we're not, not to be confused with the OK Google thing. That's another product. Um, what's really important to me is, it, it, it is, in terms of how I lead, is these three qualities. And it comes back to what my, the example I gave earlier of Maud and how I was raised in a household. Maud was most effective in helping me come to Christ and helping my parents understand Christianity. My dad eventually ended up going to church and becoming a Christian uh, because she was just in the family, serving, loving, showing grace. She was, as an example of what Christianity was, that was a much stronger ability to motivate and provide testimony than any amount of conversation, any amount of, let's go over the four spiritual laws. That, that doesn't really, you know, it, it can work on some people, but I think there's no better way to motivate people than for folks to see what a Christian really is, to see how a Christian really lives, to see what really motivates us and how we care for others. That is the most important thing. And if you are doing that every day at work, that is going to be more of an influence on others than anything else you do. If you, if you are a, a jerk at work and mean to people, and then you sit down and try to convince them, you know, about the four spiritual laws, you're not going not gonna to be effective. You need to, you, you know, you need to show people what a real Christian is in the way that you live your life, in the way that you, you treat other people, in the way that you care for others. If you show that same example that Jesus shows in the Bible, that's going to mean more than anything that you can say to people. And so these qualities here, serving, I talk about this all the time when I talk to my team, that my job is to serve you. My job is to take care of you. When I, when I first became a manager at Google, uh, the team was in a time of crisis, and I was one of the engineers on the team, and a bunch of folks left, and I ended up becoming the manager. And like during this week, 
where like our manager left, our product manager left, our tech, one of our tech leads left, you know, a whole bunch of people quit. And so I was, suddenly I was managing peers. I, worked, I was managing people who used to be my coworkers. And that could have been a super awkward situation because people were like, well, why are you the boss of me? Um, but my attitude immediately was like, hey, my job as a manager is to serve you. My job is to pr- provide for you to make sure that you're I'm thinking about your career, thinking about how I'm going to take care of the team. And when people realized that that was my approach to it, Actually, I kept almost almost everyone who who, was, who went through that experience ended up working with me for for like in a longer than usual amount of time at, at Google. In fact, there's still five people working with me. That was like five and a half years ago, and the average turnover rate at Google between teams is about two and a half years. So, um, because people know that my job isn't to tell them like I want you to do this for me and I want you to do that for me, but it's really to serve them. And and that serving serving is like it's very biblical and. There's a CEO that I, I, I work with who runs a company. It's a multi-billion dollar company on the East Coast. And he, his company is much more of, like, he, he's a, a very overt Christian, and he actually has a chaplain in his company. And he talks about how they serve their customers and they, how, how they serve the people in their company as well. Almost every third sentence when you're talking to him, it's, it's amazing what a good job he does of, of, of capturing that serving attitude. So he's really been an inspiration for me as I think about how I, I really want to reiterate that message to my people about serving. That's, that's what leadership is, is serving. Love. You know, ultimately, you know, I try to care about my people. I also try to care about our users and customers. People, you know, it's, it's very easy. It comes back to that thing about money. You can get caught up in the money of it, caught, caught up in, oh, I'm going to build a really successful business. But I, I try to make sure I'm always thinking about who are the people that I'm affecting with what I'm doing? What are the users? How am I making their lives better? How am I making the world a better place? How are we, how are we loving the, the, the world and creating, creating opportunities for folks that have, have had bad things happen? Like a lot of people who use Google Voice are actually very poor people who can't afford a phone anymore. And Google Voice gives them a free phone. And we also have a project called Project Care where we give out phone numbers to the homeless up in San Francisco, a little card that has a phone number, and they can use that as a number they can give out if, they're, if they have a loved one or if they're applying for a job. You know, like, it's important that you're, what you're doing has an impact that's more than just about making money. And we talk about that all the time on my team. And I'd say generally across Google, people who work at, at Google really do care about making the world a better place. They, they, they're very passionate about what they do. And showing grace, you know, we have this funny tradition on our team. The first time you break something in, our, in Google Voice in production, like you cause an outage. Well, well let me tell the story this way. So I, I had someone who was new to the team. He had he'd been working on something really hard, and, and he, he pushed it out. And Google Voice, a little feature in Google Voice broke. It was like completely broken for like three days. And I, 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 to, I, I went up to him. I said, hey, is this the first time you've broken something? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, let's come into this uh, conference room. I want to talk to you. And so, uh, so he was terrified. And we, we go in there, close the door. And I said, congratulations, you're a real Google Voice engineer now. And I shook his hand. And he was like, what just happened? Um, but that, it turns out that's the tradition on our team, is the first time you break something, you get the handshake and congratulations, you're a real Google Voice engineer. Because that's, we're all human, right? Like, we all face challenges like this. We all uh, run into problems and, and, and stuff goes wrong. So, uh, you know, for, for, you know, showing grace, that, the idea of, of showing, uh, you know, openness and, and acceptance of others is really critical to, to how I, I lead my teams and, and to how I work and how other people on my, te- on my team treat others as well. And it's, it's, it turns out, just to give you a little bit of data, and I'm almost done with my sermon, don't worry, uh, <laughs> is that at Google we did a bunch of studies of what makes teams successful, what makes it, you know, teams effective in tech. And the, the quality more than anything else that makes teams successful 
is this t topic called psychological safety. And that's the idea that you can screw up and it's going to be okay, that your, your team is going to, to, to show grace. And so um, it turns out that even if you, even if for folks who aren't Christian, that like the reality is that you're just going to have a more effective team. You're going to be more effective in how you lead your organizations. Your, your teams are going to get more stuff done if your culture on your team shows grace, that shows psychological safety, that people can uh, be, uh, you know, really forgiving of each other. So that's how I, I, I some of the qualities of, of Jesus I try to, to represent at, in my work place and, and, and how I uh, work. I want to close with these verses here in Proverbs. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. When I'm in the, the elevator praying, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to make sure I'm not leaning on my own understanding. Um, you know, the prayer has, you know, the time of prayer I really feel has helped me in my career. I've also gained like five pounds from not taking the stairs, so that's kind of a trade-off. But uh, <laughs> overall, I, I encourage you, you know, to pray, to, to not lean on your own understanding. And as you talk to folks uh, in tech, hopefully you can uh, uh, be able to, to crack open through some of these myths and, and challenges that people have blocked themselves off from God with. With that, I'd like to just bring the worship team back up, including me. Uh, so I'm going to do a little head thing, but... Uh, Thanks.